Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Paul to Philemon, or Philemon, as some say, or Philemon, I think is what it is in Jamaica. That was a bad dad joke. I'm sorry. I should have kept that to myself. So starting in verse 8, we're going to be actually in the, the heart of the letter. The, we're, we're, we go from Paul giving a word of encouragement, of, of encouraging the, the grace and the love and the faith that he sees in Philemon's life. And he really turns the letter kind of on its screws, really takes a, a drastic turn to call Philemon into obedience in light of the gospel, to exhort him. And, and that's what we see today, beginning in verse 8. We read these words, accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useless to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we ask that we would hear these words from Paul to his dear friend Philemon. And we pray that we would hear these words not as a, at a distance, as words that have nothing to do with us, but Lord, we pray that these words would pierce our hearts as your word can do by the power of your spirit, Lord, that they would pierce our hearts to see what the gospel demands of us today. How the gospel out of love calls us to walk in forgiveness and to receive as, the, as Christ has received us. Lord, would you help us by the power of your Spirit? Treasure Jesus to love one another and to bring you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when was the last time the gospel demanded something that was hard for you to hear? When was the last time the gospel demanded changes in your life that were difficult for you to receive? When was the last time that the gospel of Jesus Christ demanded repentance in your life that actually cost you something, that actually made you say, ouch, and not want to do it? When's the last time the gospel did this? Maybe the gospel called calls you to, to kill the, the bitterness and the frustration that you have towards your spouse that you can't let go of. 
Maybe the gospel calls you to forgive an old friend that you really don't want to forgive, that you really don't want to let go. Maybe the gospel has called you to to smash an idol that you really cherish, an idol like a job or an idol like your religious performance. Maybe the gospel calls you to kill a sin that's been killing you, whether that's an addiction or pornography or your self-righteousness. When's the last time the gospel did this in your life? When's the last time that the gospel demanded something has to change in your life? Because remember last week we said that the gospel, my nature, is the power of God. And by nature, the gospel changes and rearranges things in our lives. This good news that Jesus lived a life for us, a perfect life, and died a sinner's death and rose again should change everything about us. The gospel makes us new. It gives us a new heart. It gives us new minds. It gives us new wills, new passions. It even gives us new relationships that we'll see today. There's nothing in our life that the gospel doesn't touch. Nothing that's off limits. But if we're honest this morning, there are many things in our lives that that we don't want the gospel to touch. There there are pet sins that we want to go unnoticed, pet sins that we would like to be untouched. And we put up a sign for God that says, hey, this this is off limits for you. There are areas of our lives where we feel comfortable and content simply to just be left alone. There are moments where in our hearts we might say, Jesus, have your way in my life. Except in this area. Don't don't touch this area. This morning I want us to, to think about gospel exhortation. Exhortation, according to the dictionary, just says to address and emphatically urge someone to do something. And I want us to think about how the gospel addresses us and emphatically urges our heart saying something has to change specifically i want us to think about how god in his good grace gives us gospel community for this very purpose not just to encourage us as we heard last week but to be a loving community that sees those areas that we want to go unnoticed and untouched, those places that we're content and comfortable to leave alone. And people call us to change, to repent, to walk in faithfulness to our King Jesus Christ. See, this is exactly what happened with Paul and Philemon and a runaway slave named Onesimus. See, Onesimus was a bondservant, a slave of Philemon. And Onesimus had stolen from him, robbed Philemon, and ran away. And he ran and fled to Rome. And his name, Onesimus, it was a, a common name for slaves that day because the name means useful. It was a name given as a slave, and it means useful. But at this moment, After all this, in Philemon's eyes, Onesimus was anything 
but useful. He was now useless to him. In his eyes, Onesimus was was nothing but a fugitive and a thief who deserved to be punished. In his heart, I'm sure just like you and me, there was a temptation for revenge. A, A temptation to harbor bitterness against him. A temptation to have unforgiveness towards Onesimus. And at that time, this was seen in the culture at large. See, in the Roman Empire, fugitive slaves were treated severely. I mean, it was a capital punishment that could result in your death to rob your master and to run away, to flee. At the very least, we read that at the very least, these slaves who have run away would either get a a giant F etched on your forehead that means fugitive, or a CF carved in your forehead that said, beware of that thief. So so think about it. At, At the very worst, at the very worst, his actions could lead him to the punishment of death. But even at the very least, this is what Onesimus had waiting for him. He had guilt and shame to follow him the rest of the days of his life. Guilt and shame as a runaway, as a fugitive, as a thief that no one wants anything to do with. At this point, there is absolutely nothing in this world that could change this. There is absolutely nothing in this world that could change this unavoidable fate, this hell-bent fate for Onesimus. But something did change his fate. It wasn't anything that this world could offer him. No, it was something supernatural from our gracious God in heaven. Because see, the gospel of Jesus Christ changed Onesimus. Radically changed and turned his life upside down. Not just his forever in heaven, but his today. It changed everything about his Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Everything about him. Because see, when Onesimus runs away, he flees to Rome and he finds himself in prison with the Apostle Paul. Where in prison, he hears the good news of how Jesus Christ came and he conquered the threat of death. He took away the sting of death when he died and rose again. Where he heard the good news of how Jesus can take away all your guilt and shame in a moment. All your guilt and shame, everything you've ever done, past, present, and future, wiped away by the forgiveness of Jesus. And in that moment, he not only hears the gospel from the lips of Paul, but it's clear that he repents and believes, and the gospel changes everything. Think about this. Onesimus is now brand new. He has a new identity in the gospel. He's no longer a useless runaway slave. No, he is a useful servant of Christ. He's no longer a worthless bondservant. No, he's a beloved brother to other brothers and sisters who are in Christ. He's no longer burdened, weighed down, undone by his guilt and shame weighing on him. No, he's 
forever forgiven and fully free in Jesus. That's good news for anybody who's in here today. Anybody who's in here in an instant, trusting in Jesus, everything changes. Everything's different. The punishment of sin conquered. Guilt and shame has gone away. You can be new right now. If you would just repent of your sins like Onesimus and place your faith and trust in Jesus right now, you can be forever forgiven. Fully free forever. That's, that's the forgiveness. The same forgiveness that was offered to Onesimus is offered to everyone here today. Now, we don't know if, if Onesimus ran to Rome because he was looking for Paul or if he just so happened to end up in prison with Paul. I say just so happened because nothing just so happens in God's providence. Nothing. No, even Onesimus sitting in a prison cell in Rome is a testimony of God's sovereign goodness and grace orchestrating goodness in his life. I mean, he might have thought, I'm going to run away from Philemon. I'm going to get away as far as I can. He might have thought he was running away from him, but the Lord was running after him. And that's why Paul says this, for this is perhaps, he says in verse 15, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. This is why he might have left, because God in his goodness and his grace wanted him back to you forever. This is the reason Paul writes this letter to Philemon, it's to address and emphatically urge Philemon out of love because of the gospel to do something really, really hard, and that's to receive and forgive Onesimus. So I, I want to look at this passage and think about how, how the Lord can teach us to walk in the footsteps of Paul, ultimately in the footsteps of Christ, to give gospel exhortation just like this. First of all, I want us to see in this passage, humbly give and receive exhortation out of love. Out of love. Paul turns from encouraging Philemon to exhorting Philemon to receive back Onesimus. And look, even though he says, I have all the authority of heaven, I'm an apostle. I can command you to do what you need to do. Even though he has all authority in heaven, listen to Paul's heart in verse 9. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Yet for love's sake. Paul, Paul gives this exhortation, this appeal to receive back Onesimus out of a heart that's overflowing with love. He has a deep love for Philemon, who is his beloved child and fellow worker in the church. He also has a deep love for Onesimus, who he calls in verse 10, my child. He says he has fathered him in prison. That literally means 
I gave birth to him. You're like, how did Paul give birth to Onesimus? This is getting crazy. It's because Paul, when he preached the gospel, when he preached the gospel, Onesimus heard the good news and he was born again by God's grace. There's such a deep love that look at verse 12. Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Who's he sending? I'm sending my very heart. I'm sending my, my very heart because I have such a deep love and affection for him that where Onesimus goes, my heart goes. So you need to receive him back. This is the only way for a minister of the gospel or even a believer in the gospel to ever speak or to give and exhort one another. It's to do it out of love. We don't urge people to change because it'll be good for us. We don't urge people to change because it'll make our lives easier. We don't exhort because we like to say hard things or our personality is just really direct. No, we exhort, we urge, we plead with brothers and sisters because we love them. Because we love them and we want what's best for them. We know what's best is their joy walking in obedience to Christ. Listen, if, if you feel like someone needs to hear something, if you feel like something needs to be said, but you can't say it out of a deep love for that person, then you're not the person that needs to say it. If you can't say it out of a deep love for your brother and sister because your heart is broken for them and you want them to walk with the Lord, then you don't need to be the person who says it. Here's the Apostle Paul. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, written 13 letters in the New Testament, all the authority of Jesus that he could command, and yet he says, he shows and teaches us that love is the better way. It's better to draw, draw disciples by the love of Christ than drag them by force or rebuke them out of frustration. People aren't typically shamed and guilted and scolded out of sin. No, they are loved and wooed by their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we should be a lot more gentle and lowly like our Savior, Jesus Christ, instead of haughty, and hateful and harsh like the world around us. We, we should have a different tone as God's people. As brothers and sisters who are speaking truth to one another. And we need to get this false dichotomy out of our head that says, you know, when I'm speaking encouragement, I'm loving someone. But when I'm speaking exhortation, I'm kind of frustrated with them. Now, both encouragement and exhortation are both full of love. It's not that Jesus was gracious when he was encouraging people, but when he spoke truth, that was about truth. There was no grace involved. No, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of love in every word, and we should too. But in the same way, we should humbly receive exhortation from those who love us. Not just give it, because we love people, but receive it from those who love us. Even when it's difficult for you to hear. 
even when you didn't ask for it, even when it wasn't what your heart was really looking for. Oh, it's, it's better to receive hard words from people who deeply love us and love Jesus rather than hearing what we want to hear from those who don't love us and don't care about Jesus. I think that's one of the saddest realities of walking with brothers and sisters in community. One, one of the saddest things that I see as a pastor is when God's people reject good counsel from brothers and sisters in the church and receive without hesitation counsel from people that couldn't care less about Jesus. I mean, think about that in your life. When people reject counsel from those who love them and who love Jesus, but who drink down like water, counsel from this world that don't give a rip about Jesus. I mean, think about that next time somebody's giving you counsel and encouragement. Is this coming from someone who loves me? Is this coming from someone who loves Jesus? In fact, it should scare you if you're the type of person that won't receive correction, that, want, that doesn't want exhortation, that's not teachable, because you might actually be rejecting God's love for you through his people. Now, we should invite this type of feedback, the type of feedback an exhortation that, that tells me not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Tell me the truth because I know you love me. We should join a church family where this is true. A church where I'm fully known and fully loved. Where there's no place for me to hide because I'm loved so much. Where, where they will hate my sin with me or they'll hate my sin for me when I don't anymore where they'll keep calling me to repent, not because they hate me, but because they really, really, really love me. That's why they call me to walk and follow Jesus. Let's be a church like that, Christ Fellowship, where we humbly give and receive exhortation because we love one another. But second of all, I want us to see from this passage, humbly, and give, humbly give and receive exhortation from the gospel that comes from the truth of the gospel. Paul appeals to Philemon to receive Onesimus back and not just simply to put him back to work. Get him back, put him back to work. You can stay frustrated at him if you want. Now look at verse 15 and 16. It says, For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. As a beloved brother, Paul is giving a clear exhortation that's rooted not in his personal opinion, that's rooted not in the latest CDC press release, not based on a Twitter straw poll he took, but no, it's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is calling Philemon to do for Onesimus what Christ has already done for him. To forgive him of what he's done and to receive him back as a beloved brother. For his perspective to change that he might see Onesimus as a beloved brother. 
Paul says this a lot of times throughout his letters. Just listen to these two simple verses of Ephesians 2, 5, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another. How, how am I supposed to forgive someone? In the same way as God in Christ forgave you. That's how you're to forgive them. Or, or listen to Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Or to put it another way, the, the King James, I believe, says, Therefore, receive one another as Christ has received you. Welcome them back. Receive them back. Take off the stipulations. Draw, love them like Christ has loved you. So we should humbly give exhortations to one another like this that are clearly rooted in the gospel. Where we can clearly make a bridge from what Christ has done for us to what now we are called to do because of what Christ has done. Do you see that? What Christ has done for us should change what we should do towards one another. So where the gospel speaks clearly, we can speak boldly. But where it's silent, we should probably speak slowly. It's a good lesson to live by. Where the gospel speaks clearly, we can speak boldly. But where it's silent, we should speak slowly. Let me give you a, a few examples. I mean, we can... We can boldly say, you must forgive your wife just as Christ forgave you. I mean, that's just an echo from the scriptures, right? You must forgive your wife just as Christ has forgiven you. But, but we can't say, you must get a vaccine. Uh-oh, I went to meddling now. No, I'm just saying. We're, we're, we, we use the language in the same way, right? We can boldly say, you must put to death your lust. Because the Bible says, put to death the deeds of the body in Romans 8 that you might live. Or it says in Galatians 5, that against this, Christ has crucified our passions and desires on the cross. So you can with liberty say, you must put to death your lust, brother. But you can't say, you must marry that person. You must take that job. You, you can't say that. It's not the same. You, you, we can boldly say you must die to your selfishness. Your life should look like a crucified life because Jesus says if you deny your, you must deny yourself if you're going to follow me. And take up your cross and follow me. You must deny yourself. But we can't say you must stay in Bowling Green or you must move to Bangladesh. Because the gospel doesn't give us that authority to speak with that authority. We must say, we can say, you must repent of your racism. You must do it because that divided wall of hostility that divided black and white and Jew and Gentile has been torn down by Jesus. And so we are now one in Christ. So for you to hate someone because they're a different skin than you, for you to do that, 
is an abomination to what Christ has done for you. But we can't say, you must vote Republican. Like, we, we can't say, the blood of Jesus is red and the Republican Party's red, so, you know, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it doesn't work that way. No, we must be quicker to say, you could do this or you should do that instead of you, or, or you might do that instead of you should do this or you must do that when we don't have a clear and compelling appeal from the gospel. When we don't have a clear authority by the gospel of Jesus Christ that someone's supposed to do something. But again, we should also humbly receive exhortations that are rooted in the gospel. Paul does this with Peter, does he not, in Galatians 2? Do you remember when, do you remember when, when Peter's enjoying his pulled pork smoky pig sandwich with his, his friends, the Gentiles? And those, new, those who are now new, one with him and Jesus Christ. But, but one day, it says in the text that some of the Jewish people, his old Jewish friends, come to Antioch to visit. And it says that Peter pulls back from the fellowship. That, that he no longer wants to eat with the Gentiles because of the presence of the Jews. And this is what it says in the text. Paul says in Galatians 2, But when I saw that their conduct, was not in step with the gospel. He calls out Peter and he calls out Barnabas and their friends. When I saw that it was not in step with the gospel, Paul is saying, Peter, the gospel that you say you believe, it's not consistent with the life that you live. You said you believe that Jesus welcomes sinners you, you say that Jesus eats with the broken. You say that Jesus welcomes and receives those who are far off and who have now been brought near. But yet, what are you doing? Pulling back. We should desire gospel brothers and sisters to show us when our lives don't reflect the gospel that we believe. When we're walking out of step of the gospel that we confess is true. That's what Paul is exactly doing here with Philemon. He, he's saying this gospel that you believe that's changed everything. This gospel doesn't just change your vertical relationship with God and then has no effect with your horizontal relationships with one another. No, he says we've been made one with Christ. And we've, that means we've been made one with everyone else who is in Christ. So we receive them just as Christ has received us. So let me say it this way. In fact, I would say if your vertical relationship with God has no effect on your horizontal relationship with others, you might want to go back and check your vertical relationship to see if it's really true, to see if you really know what it's like for you to be a sinner forgiven, not because of anything you've done, but because of grace. Oh, the gospel demands all of us, brothers and sisters, that you forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. The gospel demands that you welcome just like Christ has welcomed you. The gospel demands that you receive others in the same way that you've received, been received by Jesus. 
So let me, let me ask you this question. Is there a category in your heart, a list of, of people that I could never forgive? And if so, is that even consistent with the gospel that gave you a sinner full and free forgiveness in Jesus Christ? To say there's a category in your heart for people that I could never forgive. Because the gospel says that while you were a sinner, while you were in the category of an unforgivable one, a rebel against the holiness of God, one who did not care about Jesus, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And so how can it be that Jesus, full of grace and full of love, would run to you, that he would forgive and receive you, yet you could never forgive or receive them? And by them, I mean that person right now that's in your head and that's in your heart right now that you said, I'm never, ever going to let go of that. The gospel, brothers and sisters, we have to believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and for transformation. That the gospel is the power of God for salvation and transformation in this moment right now as the Holy Spirit says to you, something's got to change. Something has to change because of what Christ has done for you. Finally, we see that, that we humbly give and receive exhortation even if it's costly. Now, for Onesimus to humbly receive this exhortation from Paul and to obey it would be really costly. Not only to forgive the debt, whatever he owed, whatever Onesimus owed, but but to also let him go free, to just treat him like a brother would be costly. But listen, brothers and sisters, obedience is costly. Obedience is costly in our lives. The the gospel demanding repentance in our life. A lot of times it's going to cost us greatly. And that's a good thing. J.C. Ryle, an 1800s pastor, exhorts all of us here today. He says, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A religion that costs you nothing is worth nothing. And so obedience a lot of times is costly for us. But the picture of the gospel that I want to leave us with this morning, this breathtaking grace, comes from the Apostle Paul. See, Paul, in our last verse, Paul owes absolutely nothing to Philemon. There's zero debt hanging over his head for him to pay. And yet, listen to what Paul says out of love. Paul says in verse 18, If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That's breathtaking. I want you to take the debt that Philemon owes, I mean that Onesimus owes, and and I want you to transfer it to me. 
I want you to place it all on my account, and I'll pay for all of it. Everything he owes, I'll pay for every bit of it. What a picture of the breathtaking grace of Jesus. What a picture of what Christ has done for you and for me, because Jesus owed nothing for his sin. You do know that, right? Jesus owed nothing for his sin because he was sinless. Jesus never deserved to go to a cross. There was no debt hanging over his head. Yet listen, this is what Jesus says by grace. If Lance has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Father, charge it to my account. If Lance has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Jesus went to a cross to pay my debt that he didn't know that I could never pay to set me free forever. And the good news of the gospel is that when I receive Jesus in my Savior, if you receive Jesus as your Savior right now in this moment, Your sin debt is now stamped in blood, paid in full. Your sin debt is stamped in the blood of Christ, saying it's paid in full. It's no longer hanging over your head. You're forgiven. You're free forever. And so it's a picture of the power of the gospel at work in us. When we don't just heap heavy exhortations on one another or on another Christian and then leave them to struggle alone. But instead, we're willing to walk with them. We're willing to move towards them. We're willing to help them in their obedience to Christ. This is what Jesus did for us. He didn't leave us to walk alone. No, he left heaven. He moved towards us. In the gospel, Jesus doesn't minimize the demands of your sin. Instead, he comes and he meets the demands of your sin. He takes the debt that you owe and he hung on the cross, despising the sin and the shame so that you might be forgiven and free forever. This is exactly what Paul says in Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Jesus doesn't minimize the demands of your sin. No, he meets them at the cross and he pays for them at the cross and he has set us free. So when we think about speaking truth and exhorting one another, one pastor says it this way, never rebuke someone unless you simultaneously agree to draw closer. Never rebuke someone unless you simultaneously agree to draw closer to them. See, it'd be easy to write a letter to Philemon and say, hey, Onesimus is coming back. Hopefully you can receive him back. But it is a lot harder to say, I'm willing to pay back any debt that he owes. And what that shows us is this is love. 
This is grace in the heart of Paul. This is the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel at work in his life. Or he can say in the same breath, something's got to change. And I'm willing to pay the cost. Sounds like Jesus to me, where Jesus out of love doesn't hesitate to demand us right now. Something's got to change. But full of grace and full of love, he in the same breath says, and I'm not going anywhere. What a gentle and lovely Savior. Something's got to change, but I'm not going anywhere. I pray that for our church, that as Christ Fellowship, that we would be a church who would address and emphatically urge out of love from the gospel, even if it's costly, us walking and living for the glory of God, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. Oh, Lord, for the example of Paul. Lord, who would urge and who would address, who would move towards and call Philemon to repentance, to to follow in obedience, to be reconciled to Onesimus. And he wouldn't just do it at a distance, but he would do it out of love because of what Christ has done for us, even willing to count the cost. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would, you would fill us with the same type of community, Lord. That for our joy, and for your glory, that we would move towards one another, speaking truth in love. That through our obedience, we might find great joy in living in step with the gospel and bring you great glory because you are a good and glorious Savior to us as sinners. Lord, I pray right now if there is someone in here who is not a believer in Jesus, who's who's never turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus, I pray that they would hear the Holy Spirit say to repent, that something has to change, to trust in Jesus, and that in an instant this morning, they would know what it's like to be born again, to be made new for the gospel, to transform, not just save, but transform their lives. And Lord, I pray as the gospel has been preach to our hearts. I know even to my heart this week. And as the gospel addresses and urges areas in my heart and all our hearts as believers and, and demands something has to change. Lord, I pray that we would not just hear that and leave sins and idols in our lives untouched, but Lord, that we would repent even as believers, and that we would walk in obedience for your glory because the gospel is true and the gospel is good and it demands and even grants what it demands. Lord, help us today. We pray in this in Jesus' name. Amen.